It was April 12th, 2008, 12 days after Sky Lynn Budnick booked a one-way flight to Japan unbeknownst to her family and friends. My mother and I needed to get the word out, so we booked a flight from Sapporo to Tokyo. This is episode three of Surviving Sky, Tokyo. I keep trying to make sense of my memory. I've had to go over the paperwork my mother has held on to over the years. I'm looking at a calendar from 2008. I'm looking at the flight itineraries, the receipts, and for some reason it's not clicking in my head. I know we were under a lot of stress. I know we were in a completely different place. But I never thought that I would doubt my own memories this much. A lot happened in a very short amount of time. And I think that's where I'm getting tripped up. So much stuff was going on. So how was our trip to Tokyo on April 12th, 2008 to April 14th, 2008? So that is a Saturday to a Monday. I knew the Japanese embassy was closed, but I thought we were passing out flyers on that Saturday. I guess it must have been on Friday. It's not a really good feeling not remembering these things. But I'm trying to tell myself that if this was any other situation, my memory still probably wouldn't be as sharp. And while I have all this paperwork, it isn't easy to look through. I was hoping I could trust my own memory, that I wouldn't really have to traumatize myself again and again and again by just like sorting through all of this paperwork. It's, it's a little naive on my part. Maybe I was being a little too hopeful. But I'm just stomped on how I'm misinformed by my own memories. In the grand scheme of things, I know it's not a big deal. I guess when you're sitting in a very traumatic time, dealing with a very traumatic event, that time is just kind of warped. And that's kind of what I'm chalking it up to be at this point. We flew out on April 9th. We landed on April 10th. We went to the embassy on the 11th, got the flyers, and passed them out that day. Though it felt like there was a lot of time in between and a lot of waiting around, I guess there wasn't. I guess we were fed up almost instantaneously and wanted to jump on any opportunities we had. So while it felt like an eternity waiting around in the hotel room or answering or making phone calls, it was just a day. And I guess it's a good thing that this is how it actually played out, that we were more on top of it than what I remember. Because I really do remember sitting around a lot and waiting. But no, after that episode of passing out the flyers and not wanting to wait around for the embassy, which was going to be closed on that weekend, we booked our flights and went down to Tokyo. We didn't want to wait around. The best course of action to get the most media coverage was to go down to Tokyo. The hotel that we were staying at in Sapporo had helped arrange um, another stay at a Sheridan down in Tokyo. So that helped immensely. The manager at the Tokyo hotel had agreed to give us a whole meeting space free of charge. So my mother and I booked our flights to Tokyo and we went. I remember getting to the airport. I remember this specifically because we got there early because that's kind of what you do in America. You have to, you know, check in, go through security, and then like sit around and wait for like another hour. 
But that isn't the protocol in Japan, not at all. I remember getting there maybe like two hours early and just sitting around and waiting. Nobody was there. No other passengers were there until like 15 minutes before the plane departed. It was way calmer and way more efficient than anything I had ever seen in the States. I'm actually looking up right now how long a flight from Sapporo to Tokyo is. And it's about two hours, an hour and 40 minutes. And that's basically what I remember. But something that's tripping me up right now as I'm looking on Google, just like to see what a flight from Sapporo to Tokyo costs, it's only like 50 bucks, 75 bucks. And I remember at the time in 2008, it was more expensive than actually flying in to Japan from the States. So something's tripping me up. (laughs) How do I not remember? I feel like I'm going to have to also go through all the prices on things and just see how things have changed. I'm like laughing at myself because like there's all these little things that I thought I remembered correctly. And I don't know. I don't know if this is more concerning (laughs) about my memory health or if this is just what time and trauma does to one's mind but anyways when we land in Tokyo we get to the hotel the press conference was going to be held on the 13th when I look at the receipt the two nights for us to stay at that Tokyo hotel was $516 and if you're curious about what it would cost today because I don't know I am (laughs) I'm looking at this site now and I'm putting in the same dates, and it would be $428 in 2022. Also, I'm looking through the photos of the property itself, and one of the meeting rooms that is pictured on the site is definitely, definitely bringing back memories. That is definitely the room that we had the press conference. I think my mother did most of the talking when we got to the hotel in Tokyo. I remember meeting with the hotel manager and there was some law enforcement there. We were um, informed that we were gonna get a meeting room and also informed that um, we were getting a translator. We were informed of um, the matter of payment in order to get the translator and we would be meeting him prior to the press conference. I don't remember spending too much time in the room that first day we got there on the 12th. I remember being really excited to be in Tokyo. Like this was a once in a lifetime moment. And the stress of trying to find Sky was overwhelming. So being in a new area and trying to prepare for the press conference, but also trying to kind of cope and dissociate, we took advantage of the opportunity we had in Tokyo and we did some sightseeing. And I know that may sound a little like counterintuitive, but we were half a world away. There was nothing we could do in the meantime, and waiting around for a press conference was just going to destroy us mentally. And Tokyo was actually a really great distraction, even if we were there just for 48 hours. And what trips me up is that even though it was only 48 hours, I'm convinced in my head that we were there for like an entire week. Like that is how much we moved nonstop around the city in order not to think about the gravity of the situation. But honestly, being in a cool city like Tokyo still wasn't enough to 
help us center ourselves or clear our, our heads. So on the first day from our hotel, we walked over to the Institute of Nature Study, which is this huge botanical garden in the middle of Tokyo. I remember being in the gardens and looking out at the city around us and the juxtaposition between being in this lush green um, environment, being surrounded by like the most modern buildings you had ever seen. It was so surreal. And even that, I mean, it was really nice to take that walk to clear our heads, but it was such a surreal feeling knowing why we were in Tokyo. It was just so mind-blowing. It was just mind-blowing. I have like no other words for this. I think the only thing my mother and I discussed on endlessly was why she would go to Sapporo. Why would Sky go to Sapporo when you can go to Tokyo, when you can see something that just doesn't exist in the States? And the thing is, everything that Sky, you know, loved about Japanese culture was, you know, Tokyo was the embodiment of that. I think that was like one of the reasons why we jumped at the chance of going to Tokyo while we were here. It felt like we would never have the opportunity to go back to Japan again. That if we were to find Sky, somehow, like, it just felt really, I guess, like, I don't know the words. I don't know how to describe this. It just felt like if we didn't explore this area, that we would never have the opportunity to go back. Because, like, going down to Tokyo made us both feel a little bit closer to Sky. We wanted to understand what it was about this culture, like anime or... I mean, that's just being very, <laughs> that's just one aspect of it. But, like, Tokyo was the epicenter of it all. And that's what was so mind-blowing for us. Tokyo was so, so cool. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. But to experience it in a way like this, because sky was missing, there were just so many layers of like emotion during this time. But in a way, like being in Tokyo made us understand why Sky would have this desire to just leave everything she knew and come to this place. It kind of lived up to the fantasy, like the fantasy in my head at least. But it still didn't make sense that Sky went to Sapporo. Sapporo, Hokkaido in general, was not Tokyo. She wasn't going to get access to the same type of thing. But, you know, we just, it made us really question, like, what was this thing that she was looking for? And that was another reason why we had to explore the area. We wanted to understand more about what Sky was looking for, even if it wasn't in Tokyo. So that first day, we went down to Shibuya. We went over to Harajuku. And we wanted to see what the culture was like, what the 
atmosphere was like. And it was really an eye-opening experience. It made us feel a little bit more... I guess it was just like a quick <laughs> and really immersive way to get educated in the culture, in that as- aspect of the culture. It's more like a pop culture type of thing for those areas. But also going to the gardens, to the Imperial Palace, we were able to see something that we've never been exposed to before. And being able to hit all these places, it really felt like we were there for so long. <laughs> I guess as I'm talking through this, I'm feeling like this was just the beginning of me keeping myself as busy as possible so I don't have to think about the realities of the situation. And I think that's what I'm doing right now, just stalling before I tell you about the press conference. I don't remember what time the press conference happened. I'm thinking it's late afternoon, evening. We were informed that there were going to be a few news outlets there. We were thinking like two, three, four tops. We met with the translator um, maybe an hour or so before the press conference started, and we told him the story about Sky and the whole entire situation. I remember he had such a kind presence, and he too seemed nervous. He hadn't done much translating before, but his whole essence was just very comforting and honestly at this point everything again is a blur it's just fragments at this point i don't remember who orchestrated all of this i can't remember if there was an ambassador there from the tokyo area or if it was law enforcement or even if it was the hotel manager we're not media trained by any means okay And when it was time to go down to the event, like I remember the nerves hit, but I also remember feeling really confident, like I can do this. That is until we got to the room. While we expected maybe like four or five people there, every seat was full, every seat there. I think like, I don't remember even looking at people's faces I think I just saw the magnitude of what was happening and I just like looked down and I just (laughs) I looked out into like space like it was so surreal like why would I be a half a world away in Tokyo doing a press conference for my missing sister like all of this came crashing down at once. And the thing is, I remember being so nervous for my mom. I was just like, I, my mother has a speech impediment. And it, it is exacerbated by high stress situations or anxiety. And I was just like, oh my God, like, I'll, I'll do most of the talking. I'll, I'll do what I can. But having a mother speak and plea for help to find their daughter is much more powerful than what I could have done. My mother spoke as if she was reading a script. In fact, she may have been reading a script in order to ensure that she stayed on point. Um, I remember interjecting at certain points 
And I remember just giving the facts, telling them our story, our desperation, and telling them a little bit about Sky, and also just our confusion about all of it. There were so many cameras in the room and so many people. It was orderly and orchestrated. They were empathetic. They didn't ask any questions that were invasive or rude. They wanted to help us. Sky Budnick took a one-way ticket to Japan from Connecticut. She took a connecting flight from Tokyo to Sapporo. And we don't know why. We don't know why. We don't know how much money she has on her. We don't know where she was going or who she may have known. We know nothing. We just know that this is completely out of character for her. I don't remember, again, I just, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember how long the press conference lasted. 20 minutes, a half hour. I remember leaving before the press left and walking out into an empty hallway and waiting for whoever orchestrated this to talk with us. I believe we were reassured that it went well and that it was a bigger turnout than even they expected and that our story was going to be on the news that evening and hit the papers tomorrow. It felt really good. It felt like the most positive thing we could have done, that maybe this could really garner some results. We really thought that this was how we were going to find Sky, because how could you not spot her in, in, in Japan? This is like it was like a defining moment, and it calmed our nerves at that time. But the adrenaline of having a press conference, talking in front of that many people, knowing that our faces were going to be all over the media, it was a surreal, surreal fucking feeling. We didn't last long back up in the hotel room. The adrenaline was insane. I think we made a few phone calls, tried to check a few emails, and it was getting dark, and it was our last night in Tokyo. So we left. We went to Tokyo Tower. We had to get some more sightseeing in, and there was just this optimism at this time, and it just felt like, yes, let's... Let's go. We, I remember walking around and it was dark out. It was probably close to like 10, 11 at night. And we were just like, let's just walk around the city. And we did. And what that did for us in that moment, it cemented how it felt safe there. And I think we, my mother and I both said like, hey, you know what? At least she's here. At least she's in this country. Because... I don't know about you. I don't know if you've realized my feelings about the current state of our country, but I'm not thrilled. And even then, in 2008, I wasn't thrilled. 
There are days where I don't feel safe being here, that I don't feel seen or represented or just like overlooked. And what this did in that moment when the police didn't act fast enough, when we had issues trying to get the media in Connecticut, in the United States in general, to take us seriously, it felt like we were completely and utterly overlooked and dismissed. And being in Japan and being validated, having a press conference that people took fucking seriously meant the fucking world to us. And honestly, I'm going to have to make a separate episode just about the media analysis of (laughs) the media coverage we got in the United States compared to Japan and how upsetting and infuriating the whole ordeal had been. So we made it to Tokyo Tower the night of the 13th after the press conference. And it was amazing. It was amazing to see the city from up in that, I know this this tourist area, but like we felt, it felt good. It felt good to finally get something out there. And we felt hopeful in that moment. And we felt safe. And the adrenaline, I guess, soon was wearing down. And we went back to the hotel. And tried, we tried to get some sleep. And another side note, um, our translator, the very, very kind gentleman who, who helped us. I remember after the press conference and we had to, you know, make sure he was paid. He refused. He just flat out refused. He was just like, I just want you to find her. And this a situation like this, I don't, I don't take money from this. And it was just the kindness in a time when you're just like, you just need something. And that gesture, it was, it meant a lot that he would just help out of the kindness of his own heart without expecting anything in return. I believe we at least did pay for his transportation, but beyond that, he was just, he refused. And that's something that isn't often discussed about when somebody goes missing, when there needs to be an extensive investigation. There are a lot of people involved um, doing a lot of different jobs. And people can only do that for so long just out of the kindness of their own hearts. Even law enforcement, they have like just a set amount of time before the resources run out. And finding people is a very expensive undertaking. And something we realize very quickly is that everybody, their time isn't infinite. They have to go back to their lives. And it was inevitable that we too would have to go back to our lives. So on the next day, April 14th, we went back to the airport and flew back to Sapporo. I remember looking at newspapers over the next few days and trying to watch news reports to see 
how they were reporting this. But of course, I didn't know the language. It was just, it was just good to see that it was getting out there. So we got back to our hotel in Sapporo and we waited to see what the next steps would be. We waited for the ambassador. And when we saw him again, he gave us some news about Skye. 